today in Writers in Tech. <laughs> okay, so I've had the opportunity to speak with the senior UX writer of Kickstarter. Okay, so if you don't know what Kickstarter is, so it's a 10-year-old company that revolutionized the way people funding their projects today. You can register to Kickstarter if you have any kind of project, like a new product that you want to create or a concept or idea. And if enough people in the world believe in this product as you are, so they would fund you. And eventually you will have enough fundings to actually create that product. So messaging-wise, there is a lot of challenges here, as you probably know, like how do you speak to the creators or how do you speak with the people that are backing that funding of that project? So I was very curious about that. So that's why I've outreached to Vicky Ciolos, a senior UX writer at Kickstarter. As I said, I had a lot of fun to speak with her, and I hope you're going to enjoy this chat as much as I did. Have fun. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. So today we are having a very special guest. She works as a senior UX writer at Kickstarter. She lives in Brooklyn, and I'm very excited to have her today. So Vicky Ciolas, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I read a little bit about your past and a little bit about your history. I would love to know a little bit about how did you got into UX writing? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey because I started in the music industry probably about 15 years ago. I wanted to be a music journalist and then I went to publicity and booking and back to publicity again. So a lot of what I did was copy focused, you know, whether I had to write press releases or I had to pitch artists to promoters. But I was able to follow my passion as supporting independent artists. But at one point, about five years ago, I got hired by this company, Drip, which some people might remember, but it was... Um, Drip is for marketing campaigns, right? Well, there's a, there are a few companies named Drip. So this particular one was a small startup that was founded by two people that were a part of Ghostly International, this 20-year-old record label. And... It was a subscription service where you, let's say, it started where you just pay, you know, $5, X amount of dollars a month, and you subscribe to a record label and they send you material. They send you new releases, old releases, special stuff. And as a result, I was the editorial director. And it was my first time working with a startup, working within tech, really kind of entering that field. And somebody gave me that book by Steve Krug, Don't Make Me Think, you know, the usability book. And it just clicked. You know, I, I thought to myself, this is it. This is totally me. And I eventually did go to, like, I, I sort of taught myself things over about the next two years and started integrating it into my work. But I did take the plunge and I did an on-site immersive at General Assembly in New York for mm -hmm. UX design. Mm -hmm. And I did that about, I think, like three years ago. And as soon as I graduated, I was pursuing, you know, I couldn't really decide between like UX design and research. I love them both, but it was apparent that when you graduate, you really have to pick one. You can't really get hired as both of these things, unless maybe you get hired at a startup and they just have no one doing UX. Mm -hmm. But it was right around that time that that article came out that I'm sure a lot of listeners might remember, the one that says like UX writing, how did, I think I even 
wrote it down, but it was like uh, UX writing, how to do it like Google with this powerful checklist. It's a Medium article. By Guy, right? Guy. Yeah, yeah. It, was like, it came out in like June 2017 or so. So at that time, I saw it and I thought, what is this? You know, what is UX writing? I'm so excited that you said it, by the way. I, I just saw that you wrote it. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and I had actually the same aha moment. I think, I think I heard you mention that in a previous podcast you were in. And I was like, oh, yeah, that article. Because I think it paved the way for a lot of people. And I have an assumption, why is that? Well, that article came after Google I.O. 2017, which is the annual yes. event by Google. And for the first time in history, okay, we had that group, Facebook group for one year. But it's the first time that Google actually, three different writers, okay, tell the world exactly what UX writing is all about. And, and I was like, holy, like, it's a thing. It's not in yeah. my mind. Uh, there is a huge demand for writers and Google are paving the way right now and everybody needs to talk about it. And right after that, Guy published that post. A guy uh, Lightwood, I think is the name of him. Yeah. And he published the post talking about all of the checklists of that, uh, of that talk. And that were like, I personally had that aha moment of, okay, UX writing is a thing. And since then, the discussion around that topic was so much more serious. Yeah, yeah. It made a lot of sense. And for me, timing-wise, it was a bit of a perfect storm because I really, I had no design background and I really took to design, but I also took to research because so much of my work in the music industry was methodical, you know, especially being a publicist, you know, having to design and execute a press campaign for an artist. And when, and, and when we were doing project, when we were going through our projects at General Assembly, you know, I was one of the more seasoned just employees, you know, kind of going through a career transition, the copy always fell on me. It was like, oh, you're the writer. I would just naturally kind of take over that part of writing interface copy or writing product copy. And yeah, when I saw that article, I was like, wait, this is not a content strategist. This is a UX writer. So yeah, ever since then, it's been an interesting trajectory for me because like uh, some of my big milestones was getting hired by uh, Johnson & Johnson to work at their headquarters um, I was an interaction designer, but I did a lot of copywriting for this app that we were designing. And it, even though I was working at this huge corporation, I was in a specific department and it felt like working at a startup because it was really just six or seven of us in product ideation, just working on this one thing. And then after that, I moved on to uh, this product studio that's based out of Manhattan called Planeta. And they're incredible. It's essentially a collective of designers and developers that they've done a lot of work with augmented and virtual reality in the arts world. And I think at this point, they're most known for making the David Bowie augmented reality mobile app that came out last year. Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of, you know, after he did the, after he had the world tour of his retrospective. But before that, while I was there, we released a spatial sound augmented reality mobile app, um, a drum machine for Oculus, that was very artistic, you know, just like all kinds of AR, VR stuff. But mm -hmm. I was the only UX person. So in addition to designing icons and working on wireframes, I was writing interface copy. But because of my history of publicity, I was also doing all the marketing stuff. And, you know, that's just kind of how it works in a small company. Everybody kind of chips in and does everything. And that really, that really built up my skills because it was a completely immersive experience. And I learned so much. But then after that, 
I started here at Kickstarter about maybe nine months ago and officially within the role of a UX writer. And it's just been, it's been wonderful because there's so much cross collaboration, but I get to focus almost completely on copy. And you have also some kind of superpower as a UX writer, which is background in interaction design. Yeah, it's helpful. It really is. Especially because it's the first time I've worked with Abstract, the version control tool for design. Yeah. And I remember when I started, I was like, what is this program? I mean, it was a little over my head, partially also because I have very light coding experience. So it was just a matter of really understanding the concept of version control, but mm -hmm. it clicked with me quickly. And I can't imagine living without it. So the fact that you know, I can work with a product designer, but maybe I can branch from their branch and then work on copy within Sketch. I mean, it's kind of like how I've heard you describe Figma, you know, where you can just write the, uh, you can edit the copy within the designs. This is, you know, a little bit more of like a meticulous way to do it, but I personally like it quite a bit. Yeah, it's a big discussion in the product design world right now. Should we go with Sketch and Abstract or should we go with Figma or should we go with Adobe XD? Most of the product teams that I know today work with Sketch and Abstract or, with the, or doing the transition to Figma because of the collaborative feature, which is pretty uh, interesting. Personally, when I design, I love to work with Sketch, but I, I'm also doing the transition to Figma because I understand that 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 feature is, I think, that's going to be the the game changer in many cases in the future. We'll see. Adobe XD are also pretty good. Well, fortunately, we you know we're we're all invited like here at Kickstarter to try out any apps we want. You know, I think mm -hmm. that if a product designer came to a meeting and said, you know, guys, I'm really I'm loving Figma. It's not like no, we're doing Sketch and Abstract. So everybody's pretty flexible, which is nice. But I do need to spend more time with Figma. Uh, actually, we're um, about to launch a course for free, which is a Figma for Writers. Uh, so I'll have you, I will send you access if you want. Oh, wonderful. Thanks. For sure. And I want to uh, talk a little bit about Planeta, uh, because you said that those guys are creating artistic experiences in VR mm -hmm. and AR, which is fascinating, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. And you were the only UX designer, UX person in that team. So did did you have the chance to kind of define and iterate on uh, augmented reality experiences as well? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, like, for example, the, the spatial sound tool that I worked on was probably my biggest priority. And it was myself and some, a few developers and our director. And there were definitely many iterations. They all lived in Sketch. A lot of it had to do with understanding how to design the menu. Because when we started, the menu was sort of a flat 2D app design where you have, you know, just like a strip at the bottom, primary navigation, you've got your five icons, but, you know, the entire app is mostly your camera feed and like the points of access that you need. And, and also we had some really fine-tuned settings in the app where you could, you know, tweak things like resonance and reverb and all those kinds of stuff. So it's like, how do we best represent this? That's that speaks to people that know how to use audio equipment and then people that are complete novices. So it was a lot of, a lot of testing and a lot of research, you know, just a lot of talking to people. And because augmented reality was so new, it was interesting because I do like to constantly scour the internet. You know, there's so many things on Medium and out there about people talking about best practices. It's a time where we're trying to figure it all out. But AR and VR is only just starting to come together now, you know? Right. 
Yeah, it was, it, there, were, there were plenty of iterations. There was even a version that happened after launch where the menu completely changed. It was more of like a dynamic pop-up experience as opposed to having a, like a strip across the bottom that persisted. I want to know if there is any research methodology or something that you did in Planeta and that you had experienced with that eventually helps you uh, in your role in, uh, as a senior UX writer in uh, Kickstarter. I think one of the biggest takeaways from it was not so much the app, you know, because the app itself was spatial sound arrangement and demystifying it and putting it in the hands of people that You know, don't even know how to like, you know, maybe like they've heard of like Ableton or Logic, but like they don't know how to use it, but they're interested in music. But going through these user tests with people and seeing the light bulb go off when they start to understand how it all works, you know, when they first interact with the phone and the app and the camera feed and walking around with a phone and headphones and, and eventually it all clicks and you kind of understand what this new kind of experience with a phone can be. And of course, after doing that a couple of times, my questions started to become refined. And I think it's always comes down to, you don't know what you don't know. So even working as a UX writer here, I serve several different product teams and I sit on the design team and I work with a lot of product managers. And every time I'm asked something, you know, like a request to, to fulfill copy for a new feature or like a couple of screens in a flow, it's really important to have that face-to-face sync with someone. You just sort of go through the experience together because it can reveal what I don't know or what they don't, or maybe they haven't caught yet. You know, honestly, even though like that's not specifically maybe about augmented reality, I think that was something that I've taken with me into this job. You know, I like, I love Slack and, you know, all other kinds of communication, but I think just, can we get together for 15 minutes and just talk about this? It does so much. Mm-hmm. Talking to people, interview users in real life and understand. Yeah. Yeah. And even just your colleagues too. I think it's important to not leave everything to your project management apps, you know, like Trello or Basecamp or whatever it is that you use, you know, they're great for paper trails and communication, but it's really important to meet in person and just have a quick conversation. That's a great tip. Thank you for yeah. that. Oh, sure. So Kickstarter uh, is, I think, a 10 years old startup, right? Yes, we just had our 10th birthday. Right. And they are kind of the pioneers of the crowdfunding world, I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have some kind of a project that you need uh, to have fundings for, a cool project like artistic projects or something like that. So we can uh, post it on Kickstarter and get uh, funded. Did I get it all right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, so working as the lead UX writer, uh, the senior UX writer of Kickstarter, what are your greatest challenges? Well, I guess maybe there, there are probably two things. One is... You know, I'm one part of the whole process between ideation, design, copy, engineering, QA, and I have to find that fine line where I'm kind of a part of it, you know, heavily during the copy creation process, but kind of throughout it all, like being there to support engineers when they're QAing or being there to field questions from designers when they're like in really early wireframing stages. 
and having to do that, uh, like having to keep on top of it, like say submitting copy, you know, even though I've collaborated with several people from a team, making sure that it actually the context remains understood because Kickstarter, for example, is translated into about six different languages mm-hmm. and we have an incredible translations manager and very talented translators, but I don't sit there and, you know, oversee them. So I have to make sure that what I'm passing off and is going to be translated into all these languages will, will still make sense and be, you know, like the essence will still be carried over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think, and I think the other challenge would just be the different teams that I work with represent different facets of the company. You know, like there's a team that focuses very much on backers, you know, which are the people that, you know, contribute funds to a creative project. But then there's another team that focuses specifically on creators. So, you know, the people that are coming to the platform with their idea and maybe another team that focuses specifically on the community that someone can build while they're running their campaign, you know, like comments and project updates and like refining all of those tools. And it's interesting when you're working for a robust platform like this, because, you know, obviously it's, it's good because you're carrying this voice and tone over across all your work, but it has to feel like a unified voice in all of these different facets. And, you know, and I, when I say that's a challenge, I mean that actually in a very positive way, but it's, it's just so important to, to remain consistent on a high level when you're writing. So part of it is developing probably a content style guide, I assume, right? Yeah, actually, that was one of the first things I did when I started here was we were migrating our style guide from one place to another, you know, like on the, on the internet as a tool for, as an internal tool. And as a result, you know, I was like, let me visit this and let me revamp it. And I was inspired by some of the things that I saw even on your Facebook group, honestly. And I, I ended up writing a product copy chapter that goes within our style guide, you know, and it's, it's, it's a starting point, but it's um, something that, you know, like now that the company, like in the last year or so has UX writer and like, uh, you know, are like these really well fleshed out teams, let's have a product copy chapter and a social media chapter and a, and a style guide as well. And let's have it be, you know, let's make sure the visual hierarchy looks good and make sure like it's pleasing to be on this on this page, you know, it's, it's a lot of copy, obviously, but it's still an important tool. You know, I don't want my colleagues to feel bewildered or just like inundated with like, Oh, the style guide. It's so big. I don't want to read it. (laughs) So it's, I think it's really important for internal tools to get as much uh, TLC as a, you know, tender loving care as a, as the product itself. So many questions about the content style guide because we have met probably many listeners that are overwhelmed. Like you said, they need to create a content style guide. I'm a product designer, so for me, it would be creating a design system, right? It can be so overwhelming, and they're probably asking this themselves, All right, so we know that we need a content style guide, but how do we start? Well, I think it's important to never do it by yourself. Even if you work at a small company, if you're like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'm the editorial director or whatever. It's like once at least an outline comes into place, it's important to try to delegate it to other folks. Because, you know, style guides will also include like components and, and color schemes and things like that. But I think like most things, it's about planning, outlining and organizing. I think it's been really helpful that, you know, UX Writing Hub and other websites have been focusing on content style guides and that other companies have been 
making their content style guides public. Mm-hmm. Like open source, like uh, materials. Yeah, design. open source, yes. But I think when it comes down to it, it's just you get together with your company or your team, depending on the size, and you prioritize what it is that you need. What is it that you can identify that can be consistent? Like language can be consistent. Colors can be consistent. Like the really high level stuff, the basic stuff. And that, you know, that touches all points of the product or the company. And some of them are givens because they're universal, like the two examples I just mentioned, but some of them are specific to the company, you know, like, uh, like, do we make our components with like React or another language? And like, how do we want to identify that for new engineers? You know, and, and things too, I think then getting down to the small stuff, like, you know, okay, so we need language. And then what goes under that? Well, we need voice and tone and we need usage and grammar. Like one of my favorite parts of a style guide is how things are said, you know, like Kickstarter style guide has a sort of an internal glossary of like, do we use a hyphen in this word or how do we write out a date? Or is there a space when you write the time between the time itself and AM and PM, you know, and it's like, there's a, there's a reference point as to how everything gets written. So it all sounds like it's coming from the same person and we're all united on, on how to write. And this glossary is part of the, you told me that Kickstarter is translated to six different languages. Oh no, this is an internal tool actually. So this is just for everyone within the company. So that when we're, you know, if it's anything from writing interface copy or writing a medium post, everyone is sort of on, a, on the same page. You know, no pun intended. But yeah, as far as translations, that's more with, You know, our, our newsletters, our blog posts, our website, our platform, uh, there's, there's quite a lot, even, you know, for the app store, you know, like that copy's translated as well. And it's really interesting because I think, you know, UX writing has come a long way in two years. It's crazy to me how, like that, around the time that Google article came out that we were just talking about, you know, it's like... Amazon, Dropbox, they were hiring UX writers. Nobody else really was. And you were seeing maybe an article or two every two weeks on Medium. And mm-hmm. then a year goes by and you see them way more often. And then a year goes by and it's just everyone's hiring a UX writer or, or like some sort of something related to that field that focuses on someone owning the copy. And mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. But I had said even, you know, before we spoke how... I'm kind of hoping that this leads to localization being the next big thing because so many applications are translated and it's really important to be open-minded, you know, like as a UX writer to not just write in English, you know, even if you work in an international company and your product might, you know, your team might be native English speakers or uh, everything happens in English, your meetings, your internal documents. Uh, if it's going to be translated, It can't, like, it needs to, it needs to speak to everyone else as well. That's a really great point. Uh, I just came for a visit in uh, Berlin in a company named uh, Get Your Guide. Yes, yeah, I saw that post. That sounded really interesting. It was, it was really interesting. But also exploring the structure of their content team was super interesting as well because they had a UX writing team. Uh, but they have also localization expert for every language. So... For the Danish market, they have someone that is uh, owning that. They have maybe 20 people that are in charge for every language. One from Italy, one from France. One that is French, like 20 different languages. 
and those experts work with they outsourcing the the translation maybe each of them to 20 different translators like outsourcing that and it's very interesting to see like that kind of pyramid flow of localization your product yeah yeah and it's interesting too because I I do I could be wrong but I do feel like even though there are some great platforms like crowdin and, and some of its competitors that are used as a good localization tool for for companies especially those with employees that are spread out I think that no matter where this goes it's always going to need that human touch because even though conversational UI and, and chatbots like they're getting better people are getting so much better at writing conversational copy I think the translation part is you still need to have a team of humans you know you can have a platform that translates and, and has you know uh, certain scripts that understand nuances and dialects and maybe even slang but I think having there has to be like a human at that checkpoint that says wait that doesn't sound quite right yeah, I would love to know what's your take on creating conversational interfaces uh, oh told yeah that, you told me that you have a trick I would love to know uh, would love uh, to talk about it Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I really enjoyed when you were on that UI Breakfast podcast and you were talking about like literally having quote bubbles and sort of having the a user kind of talk to an app. You know, like how would you talk, how would it talk back and forth between each other? For me, I find that I try to make things very conversational. Um, I think it's important to say things like we and you. Like instances where I see placeholder copy where it says like Kickstarter and then the rest of the sentence, you know, it's, you're, it's like the, the app itself is, the platform is referring to itself in the third person, which people don't do, you know? So it's like, I look for things like that and maybe tweak that and change it to we. And then to say you when you're addressing the reader, but then you present them with a button that they're going to click on. So maybe if it makes sense, the language will change where, you're say the button will say me or my or show me results or like take me there and because now the reader is the one performing the action and I think that just kind of reflects on how it goes when you're in a room with someone just having an interaction in person and I think like two of the main things for me one is reading it aloud and I feel like when I say that it sounds so simple almost patronizing in a way but it's like just if you just read it out loud you can hear it Um, like one of the best examples for me is when you're writing modals, you know, like you're going to publish uh, a blog post and you get that confirmation that says like, are you sure? Here's a little bit of copy. Yes or no. Or like log out. Are you sure you want to log out? You're not going to save your changes. Yes or no. And if you just look at it and you just read it and you think about it, you know, it, it, it makes sense when you can hear yourself speak. Um, And as, yeah, and like as far as being conversational as well, I think in keeping mind of localization, when you start to develop that and it starts to make sense, one of my tricks that I really love is even though, you know, Google Translate is sort of a, like a useful but kind of scrappy tool for a UX writer, for me, it's helpful to kind of understand the nuances between how a noun usually, or verbs too, but usually nouns translate into our various languages. Like I might have a phrase in mind that makes so much sense, you know, in this, in this interface copy. And then I run it through Google Translate into, say, German. And then I run it back to English. Or I run, it, I run it through to French. And then I run it back to English. And sometimes what comes back to me is very far from what I originally intended to say. 
and it, it kind of gives you a little bit of a, a little bit of a quick check of how how clear or maybe how insular you're being in your writing. So let me see if I understood. So you use Google Translate in a way that you translate it to another language like German. Mm-hmm. And then you just translate it back without touching it. And then you, can, you get completely different uh, output. Yeah, it's a good brainstorming tool when you're in the ideation process. Is that, you know, if you have a phrase like, um, like ask the creator about this, like, do you want to ask the creator a question about this claim? Uh, and then the other day I was putting it into Google Translate, you know, in French, in German. It's like you have it in English, translate in French, translate it back to English, see what it says, then do it again with Japanese, then do it again with traditional Chinese. And sometimes I've put copy in and literally every language comes back to me exactly as I originally put it in. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, it's 100% match. It, you know, it's almost like running something through like a statistic test. But sometimes there it's just going in completely different directions. Uh, and maybe a word like claim doesn't really come through the way I want it to in Italian. You know, maybe it's like I'm trying out different words and then I'm translating it back from Italian. But the words that it's giving back to me, like complaint, that's not exactly what I'm trying to say. So I, re- I know at that point that I'm not there yet. Because I think writing, like many other creative things, requires some personal time. You know, it's important to collaborate. I try to touch base with everybody on the team, especially designers and product managers. And I love sitting down with a designer and sort of doing a jam session with them together. But sometimes you just have to put on your headphones and just zone out and just write. And I think in that moment, that's when you really just want to go through every option that you have. You know, you're kind of like a human thesaurus in that way. How does a jam session with a designer look like? Oh, I, it's one of my favorite things. Usually it's just the two of us in a room and we've got the wireframes and the sketch files and sometimes even the whiteboard too. But it's like a lot of it is starting with the big idea and then refining it. So I'm always trying to say like, what is the goal of the message here? You know, like we've got these four screens for this new feature and what is it that we're trying to say right here? What is the message? And, you know, it could be as rudimentary or as kind of straightforward as possible. And as long as you have that, that message, you then go, well, okay, we could phrase it as a question or we could phrase it as a statement or we could like phrase it as a statement, but there are three different ways we could do this. You know, we kind of explore like, what if, The sentence is, you know, very traditional, like subject, verb, predicate. But then you have like the other one, the other kind where there's like a big comma in the middle and it's sort of broken in half. And I think then you have the, like, so you have me doing that in in one side and then you have the designer going, that's interesting because then maybe we can move this button over here and it would make more sense to have this, you know, this other copy be underneath the button. And we're literally changing, shifting the designs together. But we both come into it having already done, you know, a a substantial amount of user research or just competitive, comparative research as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I try to come with knowledge of how other apps are doing it and like, what are some best practices that I've seen? And then maybe like the product designer or the product manager or a user researcher, like we'll kind of come together and, you know, make sure that we have the goals in place. Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, Doing the competitor analysis is one of my 
go to all the time, like seeing how other people are solving, solving the same issues. It might be bad ideas, but we also want to see how like the bad ideas of other people as well. Definitely. And it's, it's hard to explain how these sort of jam sessions go because they just feel very natural. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also a great way to stay connected to other people that work that you work with. I think it's really important to not be territorial. You know, language is a really interesting thing because everybody writes, you know, like even if you're uh, not a self-proclaimed writer, you know, say you're uh, an engineer, like you do anything but writing in your title at work, but you write emails, you write cards to your mom on her birthday, you write anything, you know, you write uh, like a note for your roommate before you leave in the morning. But it's really important to allow feedback and, you know, to respect everybody's opinion as well. Because that, that's kind of the, been the key to collaboration, I find, is that, uh, you know, so many, of, so many of these like workshops and, and like various articles that I read, a lot of it is about really building soft skill and like learning how to, how to, how to read people and how to understand them. It's, I mean, it's kind of how, what UX is in general on a higher level. You know, it's like how to be empathetic towards your audience, towards your users. But I think it's really important to kind of apply that to your colleagues as well. Which kind of actions? They need to take if right now they want to work in your team at uh, Kickstarter, for example. We've talked about which kind of skills they need to have, but they might be a little bit confused and ask themselves, okay, a jam session, connect to the designers, that's all good. But first of all, how do I get my foot in the door if I want to work as a UX writer right now? Right, right. Well, you know, it's interesting because myself and every UX writer that I've met especially in the last year, they all have really unique paths. I mean, I suppose everybody does, but you know, a lot of folks that are even content strategists as well, I think it's important to have some sort of a writing background. You know, you could be a poet, you could be something that doesn't seem like it overlaps with product copywriting. You know, you could be a songwriter, but I think it's important to have a passionate focus that correlates with writing in your personal life because I think what's going to make you stand out as a UX writer is that the person that's hiring, the person that's interviewing you or reading your cover letter, especially since your cover letter is writing, uh, it's, it's, it's got to show that you love it, like that you love to write and that words are important to you. And I think just conveying that about yourself is, is a huge win. But then as far as like how to actually, you know, technically get your foot in the door, I still think that, you know, meetups and just meeting people in general and networking is really important. Uh, I love going to meetups and just, you know, like getting to know folks like people that are aspiring to be a UX writer or way more established than I am. But, you know, that's why I think that your Facebook group has been such a huge influence because it's a really flat hierarchy where anyone could just come and discuss microcopy and UX writing. And if someone's interested in getting their foot in the door, as, as you've seen on your Facebook group, you can just post something and say, Hey guys, I'm really not sure about this particular issue. Do you have any suggestions? Or, Hey, check out this really weird piece of microcopy and you post a screenshot or, Hey, I'm really interested in content style guides. What are your best practices? And as you've seen people respond like crazy. Everybody likes it. Everybody chimes in. And I think it's a good way to meet people in addition to like attending a meetup face-to-face and going there and 
you know, you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there and introduce yourself. But I think it's important to do your homework, you know, like medium is a great outlet, but there are so many good books, you know, there's nicely said, what's the other one, letting go of the words. There's that new one from Scott Kuby writing for designers. Oh, I love that Uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's just, there are a lot of good UX writing books that are coming up. There are a lot of conferences that have at least some focus on UX writing. It's like, you've just got to dive in. And eventually, I think it's about kind of figuring out your niche too, because, you know, are you going to be a UX writer, but maybe you also have a bit of an interest in research or in design or in coding. And like, how can you support what you're doing within the larger picture? Because even though writing is everywhere and it's a part of the design and the detail, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be important to collaborate with others. Mm-hmm. Those were, were great points. And I will add all of those books to the show notes as well. Oh, yeah. Great. I think Letting Go of the Words was probably one of the first books that I kind of consider a UX writing book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an older one from the 90s, but there's this one, there's this other book called Nicely Said that I read probably about a year or so ago. And it's just about like writing, writing content for the web, but it's, it's a really easy, fun read. I recommend it. I heard about it, but I never had the chance to read it. So we'll definitely do that. We have another question from one of our community members. I just posted today that we're going to have this interview. And I asked them if they have any questions for you, Vicky. Katrina Green have a question. So Katrina is saying, I know this might be a controversial question, but I know it affects some of us writers. UX writing is kind of a new discipline in product development how to integrate this role in established product teams and promote its acceptance. I know it isn't an issue in some teams, but in Mm -hmm. others, it really is. And I understand where she's coming from because in large companies, they understand already the need in UX writing like Google and like Google paved the way, but Kickstarter know to give the spotlight to the writers. But I feel it myself, sometimes you need to sell UX writing to organizations because it's tough, you know? What is your take on that? Well, I have, yeah, because personally, you know, my experience at Kickstarter has been the opposite. I, I joined and I'm immediately a part of the design team and I'm very integrated into it. I was, was a warm welcome from the start, but I, I'm very aware that this is an issue in other companies. And I think the best approach is to focus more on the UX part of the, role, the title than the writing part of the title. Because when you think about it, the, like, the discipline of UX is about backing up your deliverables with proof, essentially. You know, mm-hmm. like whether it's design or whether it's copy, you have done competitive research, you've defined your goals, you've brainstormed, you've aligned them with what you think, you know, are a few good options, and then you've tested them with real users and you've matched them against user research that you've already established. So that when you bring your wireframes or you bring your copy, if somebody says, oh, I don't know, because there are definitely some companies where, say, like the person who owns it, uh, the, the leader, or maybe even uh, an engineer or developer, like maybe they came up with an idea and they're very passionate about, about the product and they uh, have a sense of ownership over it. Um, if you can back it up with actual, you know, like, actual research, like, no, but I tested this with 30 people or no, I, I, I spoke to five different users for an hour um, about this and you can show your results. It's kind of, 
I mean, that's kind of the beauty of UX. It's like, you don't really make the call. Your users makes, make the call for you. Mm-hmm. And you're just giving them what they're asking for. So in the same sense, it's like, if it's hard to integrate, you know, you can't really just, and it's hard to, it's hard to address it because, you know, I think all the scenarios are very different and nuanced and case by right. case, but you know, you can't kind of just join a team and be like, I'm the UX writer. And, and like, this is what I say. And I know because I, I know grammar and words, you, know? <laughs> uh, you kind of have to come about it in a very, in a very roundabout way. Again, I think it's because personally, I believe it's because everybody writes, everybody speaks and communicates. So it's, it's a ground that everybody has a stake in. So what can you do? You can, um, you can empower people with tools like maybe like a product copy style guide, or, you know, you can't just send them a medium link to a really cool article and expect them to read it. But the fact that you, that you've done so highlights this level of excitement, you know, try to present what you're working on to your colleagues, Uh, try to, you know, buy some books and leave them around the office. And it's like, it's sort of small things like this, where once you're, Colleagues, you know, say like designers or whomever else start to recognize that this is a prevalent part of the process. If there's a brainstorm session, say like, oh, like, can, like, can I come? You know, like there's no reason why you can't attend it. But it's always important to like in the same sense where I said earlier, like once you're in it, once you're a part of the team and it's important to not be territorial once you've handed off your work. You know, if somebody has feedback that maybe goes against something you've submitted, in the beginning stages too, it's important not to come on too strong and to like respect to everybody else's boundaries as well. And I think, I think eventually those things fall into place because if you try to become a part of the team and you get pushback from say a director or like some sort of a lead, usually take what they give you, document it and turn it into something that's in your style guide, something that's in your internal shared tools. And that way it becomes, you know, almost like a performance review. It's like somebody has given you feedback, you go, okay, cool. And you've written it down and then you can grow from it. You use it as an opportunity rather than something that blocks you. This is a really, really smart tip. And uh, thank you. That was a little long winded. <laughs> no, it, it's great. And, and that's also uh, what I was thinking about, which is, okay, so UX designers, when they work with a talented UX writer, they can't go back because it's like when you work with a talented UX writer, you understand that like they are doing an amazing and fantastic work with communicating your designs. And sometimes as a UX designer, when you work with a product manager, they tell you and that the design is great, but it's, it's not communicating like the, the experience very well. And the mission of the UX writer is to communicate that message very well. And, and, is going to make or she's going to make like the UX writer is going to make the life of the product designer so much easier when they will do their uh, like an experienced UX writer can do and fantastic work with uh, exactly that so yeah what I was trying to say is that uh, UX writers make the life of the UX designer so much easier and they need to work with writers Definitely. I mean, I think in all truth, I think it's kind of unfair to ask a product designer to do both design and copy. I think that's, I mean, I can't speak from direct experience, but I I feel like from all the articles and all the, you know, the celebration of UX writing, the growth of UX writing, it seems like, you know, 
who wrote the copy before all this came to light? It was uh, marketing people. It was designers. It was engineers. And it was also, uh, even in the Scott Kuby book, how does it, like, the introduction starts off about, oh, no, we forgot about the writing, how it's, it kind of falls into place somewhere late in the process, you know, maybe when designs are already being handed off to dev. And as I've started to uh, really get into this specific role, I thought to myself, like, man, it's really that's a lot to ask of a designer to also do the copy because the copy itself is, is a job and it's in and of itself. And it just makes more sense. You know, you have more people involved. I mean, there's that phrase like too many cooks in the kitchen, but I don't think that applies to collaboration in product and tech. You know, I just think uh, just like UX, when it comes like on the highest level, it comes to like empathy and understanding and being able to, to like read and talk to your users it's just the same thing, like conversational UI, you know, you're talking to a chatbot, but like, it's just about understanding the nuances of human interaction. And it's, it's the same thing when you're with your colleagues. It's just about being like a good, passionate person with what you do. That's, uh, I agree, in 100%. I will ask a little bit about the future of UX writing. So I've spoke with people that are creating voice interface design, and I've talked with people that are creating chatbots. What's your take on that? What, what do you think that the role of the writer in a product team will take us in the future? That's a good question. Well, you know, I do think that a lot of, I mean, I couldn't say from direct knowledge, but I get the impression that a lot of companies don't have as many UX writers as they do UX designers, just because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a newer role. And even just speaking with friends that are UX writers, you know, it's like they, there might be teams within a company and you know, every team's got to have a product manager and they've got to have like some dedicated engineers. But sometimes you have UX writers that are sort of shared among teams. And I am hoping that, you know, a few years from now, the structure of having a UX writer for every designer mm-hmm. one will, on be, one will definitely be a thing. And, but, you know, and then also as far as the future of UX writing as well, I mentioned localization earlier. I think I mean, it seems to me like most apps are translated, even if it's into one language. But I think it makes you a better writer to be mindful of communication because even if you're at your you're a startup and you have an app and it's only translate it's only existing in English, but it's a global app and people all over the world use it. You know, they might speak English, but it's like it still needs to still needs to be comp- uh, comprehensive. So I'm hoping to see. UX writers celebrate localization a bit more, you know, like maybe just see more articles, see more books. I want to see more talks and workshops at conferences. I think those two will dovetail together really nicely. I'm also, for the future of UX writing, I, to my knowledge, I don't think there's an official UX writing conference yet. I mean, you could, you would know better than I, but I feel like, you know, a lot of conferences now have like workshops and, and talks and, and it's, getting more popularity, but mm-hmm. I'm really excited for if and when this UX writing conference surfaces because I'm totally buying a plane ticket right away. We're actually working on one right now. In 20, I in figured as much. Awesome. In 2020, we're about to have a UX writing conference in Europe. I'm thinking about Berlin. Yeah. And I'm completely overwhelmed about the fact that I'm going to organize a conference, but I guess I will figure it out as I go because uh, we're talking about it, so it means that it has to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're working on it, and uh, we actually found a place already. We are looking for sponsors. It's a, a very complicated process, 
But right now we're doing those meetups in Europe. Uh, we have a meetup mm-hmm. in Amsterdam next month with Booking.com. The idea is to create like offline meetings to make the community engage with each other, not only on online activities, but also in offline activities, and then have a, a conference with industry leaders. And of course, that I would love to have you know, people like you in the conference. Which kind of topics would you be interested to see? Uh, or like which kind of workshops or even articles would you be interested to see more in the future? Definitely something that helps you to plan your process because at one point I got a, pro- a project manager here and it's been incredible. I mean, as a former publicist, I know how to project manage things, but having someone come in, I mean, he sits right next to me and he's amazing and he's a project manager and he's already like helped me define my, my personal process as the senior UX writer here because I'm also focusing on how is this going to live in the long term, mm-hmm. you know, as we continue to hire more UX writers and like, you know, because it's one thing when you're the only UX designer and the only UX writer, like, but then when you have a team of 13, you know, like a friend of mine, she works at a much more well-known company and she's a, a UX writing manager, has a team of, you know, I don't know how many people now. And, you know, that's a whole other level of collaboration. So I think a workshop on like, how do you, solidify your process for other people to understand in your company, but also mm-hmm. for yourself. So you can like have some sort of a sensible workflow. I th- Cause I think that's a really important part of it is the planning. Uh, another thing too, is maybe like a workshop on revision because you know, it's like, it's important to brainstorm and really start working on ideation way before the deadline. Even if you're only going to dedicate an hour to it, because as long as you get those wheels turning and then you come, you know, cause one of the, best things about writing, making a documentary or doing anything creative is it's really important to just like get something out and then walk away from it. So then when you come back, you can approach it with a fresh set of eyes. I mean, there are definitely geniuses out there that, you know, they just like turn on, turn on recording or like open up Google Docs and they're just like, bop, there it is. And they <laughs> just got the perfect, the perfect album, the perfect words, but that doesn't always happen, you know? And uh, I think establishing a good revision and editing process is, is helpful. <laughs> a good revision and editing process for your writing and also a, a defined process that will help you eventually to teach other writers in your company uh, how they should work and collaborate. Right. This yeah. is great ideas. And yeah. uh, we'll definitely, like, we talked about it, so some, maybe someone would pick it up. Yeah, yeah. And maybe there could also be like a workshop about advocating for design background because uh, there are definitely UX writers that don't, you know, like don't know how to use Sketch or just like don't have an interaction design background. And, you know, it's not required that you go to school for it or required that you like absolutely know how to use these programs. But I think for me, you know, like there was a period where, you know, I would write a lot of things in Google Docs and it, it was just me kind of throwing things at the designer and having them do it. And I thought, wait a minute, I know how to use Sketch. I know how to use all these tools. And that's when I started really digging my hands into abstract and Sketch and branching off of the branch. And even though you need the whiteboard and you need the blank sheet of paper, being able to go from that to, you know, being able to like write out a sentence 20 different ways in Google Docs, but then seeing it for yourself in a sketch design uh, before even, you know, kicking it back up to the, to the designer, but just seeing it on your own, it's completely changed the process. So I think it's like showcasing the different facets of how a UX writer works is also maybe an important topic. 
Great. You, just give, me, of... you give me an amazing idea. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, because we have, as I said, like the, the <clears throat> Figma course for writers, but maybe we should talk more about maybe the, the uh, foundations of product design and, you know, a uh, little bit more about maybe typography or, yeah. you know, small stuff that will help them to pick up the design tool and feel a little bit more comfortable because I've met with many writers that they are afraid of the design tool because they don't want to screw everything up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was kind of the same way too when I started uh, really getting into abstract and sketch, you know, in my workflow again. I was saying like, I'm not going to touch the designs. You know, it's almost like as a disclaimer, like, don't be worried. I'm not going to just kind of come in and change everything. I think that, again, that's like part of being respectful. It's like uh, if you start to write copy for a wireframe and it, you start to feel like, wait a minute, actually this button is all wrong. There should be two of them, you know, and, or maybe there should, there are two and there should be one of them. You know, you can't just be like, Hey, like the right, the writing shows up, the writing is on the wall. No pun intended. Like you need to, you need to change the designs. Like those are very thoughtful decisions made by a designer. So you really need to be mindful of that when you're, mm-hmm. you know, when you're also, a writer. So thank you so much. It was very insightful and I had a lot of fun. Oh, it was wonderful. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Right before we finish, if people want to reach you, so what is the best place to find you? Well, I guess I have a Twitter account. You know, it's just my full name, Vicky Ciolos. And uh, maybe, you know, I'll turn, I'll make open DMs for that. And also LinkedIn. You know, you're welcome to message me on LinkedIn and DM me through my Twitter account. Perfect. I am going to add those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Ciao. Writers in Tech podcast brought to you by UX Writing Hub, the one source of truth for UX writers from all over the world. I hope you liked my... uh... So yeah, that's about it. So I hope you had a lot of fun listening to this podcast today. If you liked it, please share it with the world. You can head an hashtag, come on Elon, because we want to reach Elon Musk eventually. So head that hashtag and share it with a colleague, a friend, your mom, so more people would know what UX writing is all about. Till then, have a great day and enjoy. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again, and that's all for this week.